BCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. We thank you for joining us today on Crosstalk. And ladies and gentlemen, since November 30th, as you are wrapping up Thanksgiving and and, uh, gathering together with families and so forth, and now planning for Christmas and uh, all that goes with it, and uh, certainly being a gospel witness during this Christmas season, while all this is going on here, the United Nations Climate Change Conference has been underway in the United Arab Emirates. This is the 28th gathering of the Conference of the Parties of the UNFCCC, otherwise known as COP28. Our guest today has been at this gathering and has summed up the totalitarian nature of this in just a few words. Censorship, global taxes, and tyranny. Joining us live from Dubai, we welcome Alex Newman, an award-winning international freelance journalist, author, researcher, educator, and consultant, senior editor for The New American. Alex, thanks for joining us today. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Jim. Alex, this conference is really a who's who of who wants to take totalitarian control of our world. Uh, Who are some of the attendees? Who are some of the speakers at this conference? Well, the attendees is really a who's who of the power brokers of the planet and their minions. Uh, You had over 160 world leaders. Joe Biden was supposed to be here, but apparently had health troubles and sent Kamala Harris in his place. Uh, the Pope himself was supposed to be here, but also had health issues, so he had to send the Vatican Secretary of State to open up the uh, Faith Pavilion, the first ever Faith Pavilion. But you had all the usual suspects, uh, John Kerry, Bill Gates, uh, kings, potentates, dictators, tyrants. Uh, Xi Jinping did not show up, which was interesting. But uh, for the most part, you had presidents, prime ministers, and the highest levels of government, business, and religion from around the world. Well, a number of individuals there, and uh, Alex, I know some have called this the dirtiest. Matter of fact, CFAC, Citizens for a Constructive Tomorrow, they attended, and they called this the dirtiest climate conference ever in Dubai with all these private jets flying in and out. Uh, I mean, if these alarmists really believed their own message, wouldn't they be using something called, uh, what, like Skype or Zoom or something like that? (laughs) That would be the obvious thing. But the, the, the hypocrisy is so enormous. But I do have to give some credit to the host nation. Uh, the, the individual who chaired the conference, who served as the president of the conference, Sultan Al Jabber, uh, quite ironically, he's actually the head of the national oil company here. It's called Adnok, the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. And uh, right at the beginning of the conference, he pointed out, first of all, that the science does not support the idea that we need a phase down or a phase out of fossil fuels to keep the planet from overheating. Uh, and he also pointed out that such a ridiculous proposal would have us all living back in caves. And he said this openly. Uh, The media went crazy. Governments around the world went crazy. Al Gore went crazy. And so uh, it seems like he was reined in a little bit. But, um, you know, he he said the truth. Uh, And and I have to give credit as well to the uh, Saudi Arabians. You know, they're they're being demonized here like you can't even imagine. But all they're doing is just putting some common sense into this thing. So a lot of the Western leaders we're talking endlessly about the need to phase out or phase down fossil fuels or hydrocarbon energy, coal, natural gas, oil. supplies about 80-plus percent of all the energy that humans need and use today on the planet. Uh, and the, uh, the Saudi prince, uh, Prince Abdul Aziz, pointed out that uh, nobody seriously believes that we can get rid of hydrocarbon energy. Um, and he actually challenged the media. He said, if you think you know somebody who believes that, Come talk to me. I'll give you their phone number. Ask them how they're going to do it, and they can lead by example. So uh, they did pour some some cold water on that. But I think the the key thing to understand here, Jim, and this is what a lot of Americans and a lot of analysts are not understanding, the phase out and the phase down of fossil fuels or hydrocarbon energy, cheap, reliable, safe energy, is only meant to apply to the Western nations, formerly known as Christendom, what we used to call even in recent decades the free world. The Saudis, the Arabs, the Communist Chinese, the Persian, none of these people have any intention of reducing their fossil fuel consumption. They've made it known. And so what's happening here is our 
government leaders, Western leaders, are committing economic suicide for our nations. And one of the very interesting things that happened here at the very beginning of the conference, some leaked documents came out about the uh, position of the uh, Emirati delegates, the, the home nation. They were planning on making oil deals with the Communist Chinese and the Colombians and the Mozambicans and several others during the conference. So I don't hold that against them. I think everybody has a right to uh, extract energy and use energy. But uh, that's what's really going on here. We're watching the deindustrialization of what used to be Christendom, the free world, and the transfer of political economic and military power as part of what these people themselves describe as a new multipolar world order as opposed to the previous unipolar world order where the United States was the sole hegemon. Yeah, and as you point out, the West is really the enemy in all of this. And uh, with this in mind, it was John Kerry, and he said this, there shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted. But he said anywhere in the world, he said these plants are killing 8 million people a year with coal pollution. And he said he finds himself getting more militant on this issue. But did he denounce China? I mean, aren't they building coal plants? They are bringing on, depending on whose estimates you believe, they are bringing on a coal-fired power plant every week. Some estimates say two per week. So for every coal-fired power plant that they're shutting down in the United States, communist Chinese are bringing several online. It's very ironic. They're actually powering the factories that are making these ridiculous windmills and solar panels with coal-fired energy, and then they're taking the subsidies from the U.S. government. We're borrowing money from the Chinese to pay for subsidies to buy useless solar panels and windmills from the Chinese. Uh, it would be hard to imagine something more ridiculous. And you know, you can only come to one conclusion. Uh, right? The other option is that these people are complete idiots, and nobody who's serious believes that these people are idiots. They're very smart. The only conclusion that a sensible person can reach looking at this is that these people are deliberately waging war against their own country. They're mm-hmm. deliberately trying to undermine the United States of America. And if they truly believed that CO2 was pollution, we've talked about this before in your program, Jim, the worst thing in the world that they could do is shut down our clean power plants in the United States and have those power plants reopen in China fueled by dirty, polluting coal. I mean, and, and I don't mean CO2 is pollution. I mean, the nasty stuff that's coming out of these smokestacks in China is pollution. Every unit of economic production that happens in China, as opposed to the United States, releases massively more CO2 into the atmosphere. So we are being played, and that, I believe, is the only evidence you need to know that the ringleaders of this fraud know that it's a fraud themselves. Of course, they have to begin with fear in all of this. And I'd like to play a clip from Hillary Clinton, who spoke at the conference on December 3rd, had a huge message of doom and gloom. Let's listen to hear what she had to say. We're seeing uh, and beginning to pay attention and to count and record uh, the deaths that are related to climate, and by far the biggest killer is extreme heat. I mean, even in Europe last summer, which uh, has the ability to count and figure out what happened, they recorded 61,000 deaths because of the heat in Europe. We don't have that kind of number yet from Africa, Asia, Latin America, but we know and estimate that we probably... Uh, could uh, measure about 500,000 deaths. And the majority of those are women and girls, and particularly pregnant women. Okay, we've got a lot to break down there. 61,000 deaths due to the heat possibly could be up to uh, half a million. We hear all these, you know, uh, possibly and, and so forth. And then she said majority are women and children and, 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 and of those pregnant women. How does she have numbers like that? Uh, It's just par for the course at this point. They they make up data. They commission totally fraudulent studies. They find researchers who are desperate for grant money and promise to study the dangerous effects of climate change. They throw hundreds of thousands or millions of federal tax dollars at them, and they produce the junk studies that the government is asking for. Uh, We've been seeing this for many, many years now. Uh, they, They defund researchers who put out real science. And so um, this is just part of the course. And, and the reality is they can get away with this because there are no real journalists attending this conference. I mean, there, there were over 6,000 so-called journalists at this conference. I did not meet one who was asking real legitimate questions about the hypothesis underpinning this whole thing, about the crazy numbers and data that were being thrown out. Uh, what's happening here is ridiculous fear-mongering designed for the same thing that for the same reason that they did this with covid back in 2020 they want you to make decisions they want you to accept policies that you would never otherwise submit to and so they're using fear they're using terror they're using uh, absurdity and junk science 
to promote it and this Hillary Clinton tirade, very much like Al Gore's recent tirade at the World Economic Forum about, uh, he said that we were seeing uh, rain bombs, I believe he said. Uh, that, that's how ridiculous this has gotten. Alex Newman is with us live from Dubai and uh, t- talking about uh, COP28, the uh, conference of the parties, the climate change conference taking place. And Alex, uh, so you heard what H- Hillary had to say about record heat and so forth. And that's why they're convening, because we're going to have record heat. We're going to destroy all our crops, our food supply. Therefore, we must, you know, somehow harness, you know, control over this uh, climate change that's taking place. Uh, just and I know you've done a full program with this before, but for those for the sake of newer listeners, are is it accurate to say we we are in the hottest days ever, the hottest month ever, the hottest year ever? No, it, it's simply preposterous, and there are multiple fields of evidence you can use to prove demonstrably that this is preposterous. Uh, if you look at the archaeological evidence, there were Vikings farming on Greenland a thousand years ago during something called the medieval warm period. We have archaeological evidence. It is all over southern Greenland. Of course, you couldn't farm anything today on Greenland because it's frozen. <laughs> so obviously, a thousand years ago, during what was known as the medieval warm period, it was much, much warmer. In fact, um, about a hundred years ago, we had a much warmer period than we have now, and that is demonstrated through multiple streams of evidence, and people who were alive back then could even testify to that fact. One of the things that has come out recently in the peer-reviewed literature, this is fascinating, you won't hear this from the media, but uh, there was a series of three new studies that were published in in leading scientific journals, peer-reviewed journals, just over the last few months. Uh, the lead author on these was Dr. Willie Soon, uh, probably the top astrophysicist in the world. He just retired from Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics last year. Uh, the other lead scientist was Dr. Ronan Connolly. They have joined forces and created the uh, Center for Earth Sciences and Research, uh, excellent organization. So they teamed up with dozens of scientists around the world. They put out these three new papers. Uh, what the papers show is that about 40 to 50% of all the observed warming of recent decades can be entirely explained through something that's known as the urban heat island effect. Um, To try to explain this in layman terms, there were temperatures, uh, stations and monitors put out 50 years ago, 80 years ago, 40 years ago, that were put out in the middle of a field in a very rural area, and a city has since grown up around those temperature stations. So now you have pavement, you have uh, shade trees cut down, you have uh, air conditioning vents and exhausts blowing out on them, and so that causes the perception of an increase in temperatures. But all this really happened is he grew up around the thermometer. It's not that the uh, temperature of the planet changed. It's just that the temperature of that particular station changed because of the city growing up around it. Now, they try to dismiss this. Uh, they say, oh, well, I haven't seen that study. You know, who knows about that study? Well, the chairman of the UNIPCC's working group, one Chinese individual, has cited Dr. Willie Soon's work on the urban heat island effect positively in his own scientific research. So even the UN's own climate science body knows all about this research. The other studies showed that all the rest of the warming can be entirely explained through changes in what's called TSI, total solar irradiance. This is, in layman's terms, uh, changes in solar activity. So all of this alleged warming that we've seen over the last few decades, according to their fake temperature records, their manipulated data, is easily explained using entirely non-carbon dioxide-related phenomenon, and they don't want you to know that. Alex Newman with us here today on uh, from COP28, Censorship, Taxes, and Tyranny. We'll take a quick 60-second break. We'll come back and discover and uh, discuss more issues with him today. And uh, friends, uh, you're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, was ancient man primitive? Chris, in no sense was ancient man primitive. Man was created in the image of God with a large brain and great intellect, able at the very least to communicate with God in the Garden of Eden. Even in the early chapters of Genesis, man had agriculture, had metal workings, and he made musical instruments. Those civilizations of man that sprung up right after the flood were likewise quite intelligent. Think about it. Even the pyramids speak of an intelligent engineering ability of high quality, an ability which may have been lost up until recent times. 
There is no scientific evidence that man rose up from the animals. This is an evolutionary story which doesn't fit the facts. Mankind created intelligent at the start. Now that fits the facts, and that's the back to Genesis truth. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.icr.org. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. We're talking today with Alex Newman. He is in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, talking about COP28, the conference just wrapping up. Censorship, taxes, and tyranny is uh, Alex's themes here coming from this conference. Uh, Alex, I'd like to point out another hypocrisy here, and this is a group that has had a war against meat, a war against beef for, for you and me. However, as a, a recent uh, report on the New American, they had a wide variety of gourmet food options. According to the summit's online portal, its food offerings included juicy beef, slabs of succulent meat, smoth uh, wagyu burgers, uh, Philly cheesesteaks, melt-in-your-mouth barbecue, and had African street barbecue, fast casual Mexican fare, and an Asian option that had a touch of French flair. We've got a war on beef, a war on meat, but not for them. No, that's exactly right. And uh, that's the case ac- across all of these different issues, whether it be energy, whether it be food, whether it be agriculture, whether it be money. Um, they want less for you. They want scarcity for average people around the world. And for themselves, they want anything that they feel like having. Uh, and, I mean, you see this so clearly. You look at the airports. They're covered in private jets. Why are they covered in private jets? Because the kind of people who are coming to these things, they don't like to fly with us little people on commercial airlines. So you have hundreds, sometimes thousands. You get limousines. You get helicopters. Uh, the amount of limousines with with police escorts where you've got four or five uh, heavy SUVs following behind them and flying the little flags on the front, uh, it really is obscene. And and I do wish we could show the 8 billion people on the planet what's going on here. You've yeah. got countless government representatives staying at seven-star hotels, feasting on the nicest food that people could even imagine. Meanwhile, the people who are paying for this, you have struggling middle-class taxpayers in the United States. You've got struggling middle-class taxpayers in Canada, Europe, Japan. And then, of course, you've got the starving masses across so much of the world. So was food attacked during this conference? Uh, Oh, absolutely. In fact, it was attacked more than I have ever seen in all my years of attending these conferences. It was blatant. It was in your face. Uh, They don't even bother to hide what they're doing anymore. They want to get rid of cattle. They want to fundamentally restructure the food system, and they say so. They had little displays of what the future of farming should look like. It's vertical warehouse farming done by artificial intelligence. Uh, Quite ironically, their uh, computer model showed that 800 parts per million uh, of carbon dioxide would be a good amount of CO2 to have in the air in these vertical farms that they want to build. Um, which, uh, you know, on the one hand, they're telling us carbon dioxide is pollution. On the other hand, they want to tell us that um, in their vertical government, big corporation-controlled farms are going to have it at 800 parts per million. But um, I think the key takeaway on the food transformation that they're working on is they want to remove small farmers, small ranchers, independent producers from the land, and they want to replace the control of the food system with these giant mega corporations like uh, Monsanto is one example, uh, in partnership with government, so that uh, little people are removed from the land and everybody then becomes dependent on the system just for survival. Yeah, and Alex, as you know, right now we've got a lot of rural farmers who listen, ranchers in South Dakota and Nebraska and Iowa and so forth. I mean, their ears really had to be perking up with this information here in the state of Wisconsin as well. Yes, actually, uh, one of my colleagues who came with me, in addition to her work in journalism, she's actually a cattle rancher. I have a few cows myself. And uh, so she spoke with many U.S. senators. Actually, uh, she and I spoke with uh, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack about this issue. And he said, oh, no, we're not against farmers. We're not against ranchers. But as uh, my colleague was confronting him with the actual policies that are being pursued, the actual effects of those policies, you could tell he was becoming very, very agitated. His security uh, was getting very agitated. His handler was starting to take down our names and, and asking if we had permission to film. And so this is a public official in a public place, permission oh. to film. So um, it, it's getting 
very, very uncomfortable, and, and I do hope ranchers and farmers will pay attention. Uh, what's happening here ultimately is a war on them and a war on their livelihood, a war on their property rights, a war on their water rights. And my colleague is on the front lines of this. Her name is Debbie Bachiga. She's got a big cattle ranch in Northern California, and uh, they are coming after all of the ranchers in that area. They're taking out the dams that make life possible there. They're trying to take away their water rights. They're fining them all kinds of outrageous amounts for alleged violations. Uh, they're making life as difficult as possible, and they're taking them out one by one. And if we don't stop this, uh, we're going to find ourselves without rural America, without independent food producers, and that's something that we should all dread. Let's talk about this. I understand there's this climate action commitment counter, and uh, according to Bill Jasper, uh, they secured a record $83.9 billion in climate, climate finance commitments. Yeah, and so climate finance is interesting. I, I did a whole article about this. Uh, that was one of their first big accomplishments when it comes to uh, climate finance. And there are so many streams of funding that there's nobody who can keep track of them all. But uh, several that I looked at, you've got the green, I call it the Green Climate Slush Fund. They call it the Green Climate Fund. This was set up some years ago. Uh, and really, I think the, the way for people to understand this is this is a bribery mechanism. They're taking money from taxpayers, from middle-class taxpayers in the United States and other Western countries. They're putting it into this giant slush fund, and then they're paying third-world kleptocrats to promise to keep their people in poverty or to approve of these alleged climate policies if they want to secure some of this money. And they call it adaptation, or they call it mitigation. And, of course, they stash it in uh, foreign bank accounts, and they buy themselves more limousines and hire themselves more security officers and build better palaces. You also have uh, a new fund that was just established at this one. It's called the Loss and Damage Fund. Uh, this was actually agreed to at the previous COP, the COP27 that we attended in Egypt and uh, Sharm el-Sheikh right outside of uh, Mount Sinai. And uh, this was basically the mechanism, as they're describing it, climate reparations. So uh, because Western peoples, freer peoples, Christian peoples developed first, because we developed the technologies that basically extended lifespans by 50 years, uh, made uh, life tolerable for huge parts of the world, liberated humanity from backbreaking labor. Uh, because of those things and the alleged CO2 that those things emitted and the alleged climate change caused by that CO2, now we need to pay reparations to the supposed victims of climate change, which needs to be routed through the UN and then through their government. So Biden and Kamala Harris pledged billions of new dollars to the Green Climate Slush Fund. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars were pledged to this loss and damage fund by the European Union, by the German government, by the Biden administration, by the Japanese. And uh, what they're doing is they're just creating these giant pots of money so that they can help themselves, of course, and then bribe everybody to come to the table on these other issues. And these climate commitments, you know, you had different governments promising money for this, that, and the other. A lot of it is just going to be recycled back to the kleptocrats. You had big corporations promising money for this, that, and the other. A lot of it is just going to be recycled back to the kleptocrats. A lot of it is just for PR purposes. But uh, this is a fraud piled on top of a fraud, Jim. Friends, I don't know where you'll find more information on this conference than going to thenewamerican.com, thenewamerican.com. Uh, many, many articles on this issue and exposing what is really taking place. You're not going to get it from opening up the pages of your local newspaper. And one of the articles that uh, came out here recently as well, Vice President Harris played Santa Claus as Christmas comes early, a cop 28, bearing gifts. And uh, Alex uh, indicating uh, here in this article that she flew in and out of Dubai for the opening of the conference fully nine time zones from Washington, D.C., many tons of carbon emission from Air Force Two, her mission, which she chose to accept, to inform the delegates from dozens of participating nations something she could have Skyped. The Federal Reserve printing presses, computers, actually will be distributing another $3 billion for the U.N.'s Global Climate Fund, she announced. I mean, she made this huge trip over there just to announce that we're going to give you $3 billion? Yep, uh, with all her staff and uh, all the CO2 emissions that that results in. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, people need to understand, too, we're, we're talking billions and hundreds of millions, and, and pretty soon this adds up to real money. But when you listen carefully to what they're saying, this is just the very beginning. In fact, the conference was opened up by King Charles, who openly said, we're going to have to start extracting $5 trillion from you people. And uh, we can be sure that he's not going to be selling any of his half-dozen palaces and mansions and cottages. Right. and He's not going to be getting rid of his private jets and helicopters and limousines. It's going to be us who pay for this. 
They're also talking about global taxes, right? The head of the International Monetary Fund, Cristalina Georgieva, actually showed up and said, we need global carbon taxes to create new revenue streams for governments and to change the incentives and behavior of the people of the world. So they're just getting started on this. They make progress every single year that passes. Every single year the conference comes and goes. Huge amounts of CO2 are put into the atmosphere. People forget that it happened. Next year it all happens again, and they take another two steps forward. So by the time this is all done, they plan to completely re-engineer human civilization. They plan to completely bankrupt what's left of the middle class in the United States and the Western world. And they plan to accumulate all power for themselves at the global and regional level. And now these carbon taxes you talk about, is that adding uh, 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 cost to goods and services we buy? Is it a tax upon nations? How would that work? Well, they have different proposals for this, and they obviously want to start small. Every government program starts small, <laughs> like the income tax, everything else. Yep. Uh, and so they say, well, we're just going to tax you on air travel. We're just going to tax you on shipping. We're just going to tax you when you buy gasoline. But people don't realize every single thing that you do, every human activity, being born, breathing, turning on a light switch, dying, right? When you die and your body decomposes, you release large amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere. Every single thing you do produces carbon dioxide. So if you accept the hypothesis that carbon dioxide is a toxic pollution and that you have to pay global taxes to a global authority to mitigate the alleged effects of that toxic pollution, there's nothing, and I mean nothing, in your life that could not be subject to global taxation and global regulation. So starting off with talk of we're going to have global carbon taxes on different uh, goods and services and shipping and flying and things like this, but ultimately people need to understand these could and will be, I believe, applied to just about anything you can think of. And ultimately, I think a simple way to understand it is that the carbon they want to eliminate is you. We are carbon-based life forms, and they will tell you openly there are way too many people on this planet. We've got to reduce yeah. the population, and they say this openly. Yeah, the population control, very much part of it. And and part of this, too, they're talking about carbon uh, passports, where everybody is given so many uh, uh, tokens, so to speak. And when you use all those tokens, you're done traveling. I mean, really, uh, to measure how much one could use these these carbon ca- passports, some believe that that's really the answer. Yep. And, and so here you see the merger of the COVID tyranny with the climate tyranny. Yes. Fascinating to and then did seriously propose carbon passports for people to be able to travel. And so what they want to do, and, and actually one of the first ads that I saw at the airport when I got off the airplane here in the United Arab Emirates was an ad by MasterCard saying now we have a personal carbon tracker. You should use MasterCard so you can track your carbon footprint. And at first, these things will start off voluntary. Several credit card companies are already doing this, but they will move very rapidly toward mandatory. They've been talking about this at the World Economic Forum for years. They want to use this as a tool for social engineering. And so the technology is in place. There were vendors, there were experts and computer people all over the conference talking about their carbon tracking technology. And so at some point, if these totalitarians get their way, you might get a carbon allowance or a carbon budget for the month where you might be able to use that on air conditioning or steak or gasoline for your car. And as soon as you've exceeded your budget, you're either going to have to buy more from somebody who's not using all of theirs or you're going to have to stop emitting CO2. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Alex Newman is with us today, having attended COP28 and uh, is uh, live in Dubai at this time. That's United Arab Emirates and uh, giving a report of this conference. It's all about censorship, taxes, and tyranny. And a quick break. When we come back, friends, we're going to cover a few more aspects of this. Alex mentioned a faith pavilion. We're going to learn more about that information. We're also going to be hearing a clip from Al Gore. Basically, he was saying any any messaging, any opposing view to what they're saying here is a threat to democracy. So you'll be hearing that as well on the program. And uh, friends, stay with us. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Many wonder about the 70 weeks prophecy found in the book of Daniel. While Daniel is praying for Israel... He receives a vision of Israel's future comprised of 70 weeks. But what do these weeks mean? In the book, Daniel's Gap, Paul's Mystery, pastor and Bible prophecy speaker Dr. Richard Schmitz carefully examines this vision, outlining the dispensational distinctives between the Old Testament, the New Testament, 
between Israel and the church, and between the law and the gospel of grace. He further examines the scriptures and details this pause between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. It is there where God placed this church age into his program. Daniel's Gap, Paul's Mystery, is available for a donation of $17 to VCY America. Call 1-800-729-9829. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. And yes, another article on this uh, from The New American. And friends, check it out, thenewamerican.com. Uh, where they pressed, even in the opening session, uh, new energy systems. If we do not signal the terminal decline of the fossil fuel era as we know it, we welcome our own terminal decline, and we choose to pay with people's lives. Doom and gloom coming uh, from COP28. Alex Newman is there covering the conference, has been reporting from there, numerous interviews as well. Alex, earlier in our program today, you talked about the Faith Pavilion, first time ever for this being at uh, this uh, COP conference. What is this Faith Pavilion? What can you tell us about it? So the Faith Pavilion was extremely significant. It was significant enough that the Pope was actually going to do the opening ceremony. Unfortunately, he fell ill and was unable to come, so he sent the Secretary of State for the Vatican. And uh, the, the Secretary of State for the Vatican, Cardinal Pietro, I uh, can't remember his last name, actually read the Pope's speech. And um, the theological implications are enormous. Uh, he suggested that uh, not taking proper care of the environment was, in the words of the Pope, an offense against God. Uh, he suggested that we have a duty to God to uh, basically fall in line with the global warming agenda, I suppose, to, to stop CO2 emissions and all the rest of it, and to hear the cries of the earth. But, of course, it wasn't just uh, the Pope and the Catholic Church here. Uh, this was a, a very much an interfaith movement. Uh, one of the first things I did when I got to the conference was head over to the Faith Pavilion. Last year, I uh, exposed how they unveiled a new Ten Commandments at the top of Mount Sinai as part of this climate summit. Um, they did a bizarre uh, climate repentance ceremony and then smashed the Ten Commandments. So that, that, to me, was significant enough that it was the cover of the New American Magazine after we got back from Egypt. Well, this year I said, I better get to the Faith Pavilion and see what's going on. First thing I see when I get there is a big interfaith prayer. They had all sorts of various religious leaders, a, a bishop from the Lutheran Church of Sweden, the largest Lutheran denomination in the world. Uh, incidentally, the, the church that uh, my wife was a part of as a child, uh, being from Sweden, and uh, she had prayed for climate justice uh, in the name of Jesus. But then you had all sorts of pagans and uh, deists. You had a Zoroastrian, all saying prayers for climate justice to the various and assorted deities. Uh, then they did a, a faith walk all across the U.N. They had uh, at least a dozen, maybe two dozen at various times, depending on what time you were there, um, religious leaders. They had a metropolitan seraphim of the Greek Orthodox Church. They had senior uh, rabbis, uh, the head of the interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. Um, again, you had various pagan leaders that they had brought in from the uh, Amazon jungle and from various parts of Latin America and Asia and Africa, all united in this uh, conception mm -hmm. of uh, Mother Earth needing to be taken care of by people. Of course, a, a very unbiblical notion when you actually boil down what they're talking about. This isn't just regular stewardship. You know, God put the planet here and we ought to take care of it. Um, this is uh, much, much more dark. And uh, incidentally, uh, another thing that happened at the Faith, Faith Pavilion, I learned of a man who was launching a new religion at the conference. So uh, I had an opportunity to spend 30 minutes interviewing him. I went to his press conference. And uh, a lot of people don't realize, but the United Arab Emirates is a very significant center for these things. Uh, earlier this year, they opened up uh, a very significant institution called the Abrahamic Family House. So this was the Pope, uh, the Grand Imam of Al-Awar from uh, uh, Cairo, uh, several of the um, sheikhs who rule over the various emirates here and other religious leaders came together and unveiled this giant campus, I guess, if you will, that has a church with no cross on top, a mosque, and a synagogue where they have a declaration there that says this is to unite believers and unbelievers of all faiths except extremists. We condemn extremists. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the implication there was pretty clear. These are Bible-believing Christians who believe Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. 
So a lot happening here on that front. Yeah. We've talked about the, the taxes and tyranny. Let's talk about censorship just a bit as well. Uh, Al Gore really uh, giving the the, uh, the communication that if you oppose my view, it's a threat to democracy. Let's just hear a little clip here and we'll have you comment on this. Here is Al Gore from COP28. To one based on broadcasting and then moving on to the Internet and to social media has disrupted the balances that used to exist uh, that made representative democracy work much better. Because a free self-governing people rely on a shared base of knowledge that serves as a basis for reasoning together collectively. But uh, if you have social media that is dominated by algorithms that uh, pull people down these uh, rabbit holes that are a bit like pitcher plants, these algorithms, uh, they are the digital equivalent of AR-15s. They ought to be banned. They really ought to be banned. It's an abuse of the public forum. But when, these, when people are pulled down these uh, rabbit holes, you know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole? That's where the echo chamber is. Uh, And if you spend too much time in the echo chamber, what's weaponized is another form of AI, not artificial intelligence, artificial insanity. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm serious. You know, really, Alex, I mean, information out there is the equivalent to an AR-15? Uh, that's how desperate they have become. And, uh, you know, nobody really wanted to talk about this. I asked a lot of people about this, including a panel of seven U.S. senators who came here. There was a poll released uh, some months ago by uh, AP and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, uh, these highly credible polling agencies, and they polled Americans on their attitude to climate change. They asked Americans, do you believe in climate change? Uh, most Americans said yes. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was about 70% of Americans said yes. I would have been one of those people who said yes. The climate has been changing uh, pretty much since, uh, you know, at least the fall. <laughs> That's a, climate has been changing for a long time. Uh, presumably, it will continue to change. Uh, we've got evidence of this all over the world. And so I would say yes, the climate is changing. Then they followed that up with another question. Do you believe that human activities are causing this climate change for those who believe in it. What they found was that most Americans, in fact, a very significant majority of Americans, completely reject the man-made global warming hypothesis that human activities are causing climate change. So they have lost the public, and they know it. And they believe it's because of the Internet. They believe it's because of the free expression that has been allowed for a time on some of the social media platforms. Uh, and you know that they know this. Uh, again, I confronted seven senators about this. I said, look, most Americans don't believe your theory. Um, that's why you had to hide your giant climate bill. They were bragging that this was the biggest climate bill in all of world history. That's why they had to call it the Inflation Reduction Act, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if they called it the Climate Funding Act, people would have revolted. So um, I asked them, you know, the American people don't believe this. Donald Trump may well become the president again in a couple of years. He's called climate change a hoax invented by the CCP. Um, you know, how, how are you guys making all these promises and commitments for, for future generations of Americans when the American people don't even agree with what you're doing? And the response was very telling. Uh, Senator Chris Coons took my question, uh, chairman of a very powerful committee dealing with this, and said, we're going to keep making progress regardless. And that's the attitude. They had signs all over this conference saying this transformation is unstoppable. It's exactly what John Kerry said. Nothing can stop this transformation. So they figured they need to silence us on the Internet if they want to keep people in line and keep people from learning the truth, not just about climate change, but about so many other issues. Yeah, and the, the progress that they're talking about is leading us toward a destination totally, it's the antithesis of the very things that we know make for a strong a sovereign nation here and strong environmental policies and, and energy policies for our nation. That's exactly right. Uh, and and ultimately, we're talking about the elimination of human freedom, the elimination of prosperity, the undermining of the United States economically, militarily, politically. And uh, if these people get their way, we're talking about to be just very blunt, global totalitarianism. Yeah. Friends, our number to crosstalk today, 800-733-9829. That's 1-800-733-9829. Alex is in Dubai as we speak. About COP28, censorship, taxes, and tyranny. Alex, there is a, a, a phrase, a buzzword, and the New American also points this out, that happened at this uh, conference called global stock take. 
global stock take. What was meant by this? I mean, we have the U.N. Secretary General using this phrase uh, multiple times in his address. Success of this uh, uh, COP depends on on the global stock take, prescribing a credible cure in in areas and so forth. What what did they mean by stock take? Well, they mean taking a look at all of these commitments and whether governments are following through on the commitments that they're making. So kind of the, the core of the Paris Agreement, to, to give you an obvious example, this was the U.N. Uh, climate deal that came out of the U.N. COP, uh, what was it, 21, maybe in Paris? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right, in 2015. And um, essentially every government came to the table and made a pledge, we're going to do X, Y, Z. So the Obama administration promised they were going to slash CO2 emissions by 30% within the next 10 years. The Communist Chinese promised they were going to keep increasing their CO2 emissions until maybe 2030, give or take. Um, and so the idea behind the global stock take is we've got to look at what all these people are saying they're going to do, all these governments, all these companies, are they actually doing them? And uh, we're talking here about enforcement. So the, the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the U.N.'s uh, pseudoscientific climate science body, actually came out and publicly, their vice chairman came out publicly, said, we need to move to a point where now the IPCC is becoming policy prescriptive. It's not enough to just have all these governments doing whatever they feel like it in response to the science that we're putting out. We need to be telling them what to do. We need to also, they said, uh, be allowed to oversee the implementation and the enforcement of these policies. So the global stock take is basically corralling all of these things together and saying, now it's time to act on these. Now they're going to be in uh, so this is a very serious part of the whole agenda. Let's begin in East Troy, Wisconsin. William, you're on the air. Yeah, brothers, um, the Bible teaches us that uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind in mm-hmm. Second uh, Timothy 1.7. And I know a lot of this is all fear-mongering, but um, uh, Alex, did they mention anything about the Pangea Ultima that they're trying to convince us is going to destroy the Earth in 250 million years? And and if so, did they give us any um, indication on how to prepare for this? Ha ha. <laughs> uh, thank you, brother, for, for the call. You're absolutely right. And you know, whenever you see politicians and and world leaders telling you to panic, and I'll tell you what, everywhere you went, you need to be scared. You need to be panicked. We need the children to be terrified. Over and over again, you heard that. You know, something is not right here because the Lord is not trying to send us a spirit of fear. Uh, I did not hear about the. Uh, alleged incident that may be coming 250 million years down the line uh, at this summit. But there, we could have had a team of a 1,000 reporters here. There's no way to keep track of everything that's going on there. So that may well have been a topic of discussion on some side events or, or different things that were happening there. Uh, I just, unfortunately, uh, was, was not familiar with that and did not come across anything having to do with that. Thank you, William. Susan is next in Phoenix, Arizona. Susan, you're on the air. Thank you. Um, I just would like to ask Alex if... There were any sessions on geoengineering um, at that conference because I'm seeing so much more here in the Phoenix area. Okay. Yeah, I, I did not see any at this one, but that has been a topic of discussion for a long time. Uh, we have had uh, senior U.S. officials talking about this. We've had uh, researchers and scientists at Harvard University talking about this. We've had uh, John Brennan, former head of the CIA, and other senior officials at the CIA talking about this. We've had Bill Gates openly advocating different forms of geoengineering, whether that be spraying things up in the sky to reflect sunlight or uh, various other, uh, in my opinion, absolutely crazy ideas for re-engineering the Earth's atmosphere, uh, trying to make places more reflective. Uh, I did not hear any talk of that at this particular summit, but that doesn't mean, again, that they didn't happen. Mm -hmm. There are so many things going on here, so many proposals being made. It's not possible for any one person to keep track of it, but I will check into that. And if there's more to report, uh, maybe I can talk about it next time I'm on the program with Jim. Great. Thank you, Susan, for the call. And friends, we're just up against a break. We'll take the break and come back to more of your calls. But uh, you can learn much more information at thenewamerican.com, thenewamerican.com, and Alex's website, libertysentinel.org, libertysentinel.org. But uh, they've been writing extensively. I've not seen any coverage to the, to the to the magnitude that the New American has been given on this issue. And uh, you can check it out there. Well, we will take this break and come back to your calls here on Crosstalk, coming your way from the VCY American Network. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Right after the Obamas, Michelle and Barack Obama, 
produced a movie about a cyber attack on America. Guess what happened? The Washington Post reports that China is attacking on the critical infrastructure of America. The timing is indeed interesting. But reality is, apparently the globalists like to tell us in advance what it is they're going to do. I believe this is for a few reasons. One is to show their power to people, to rub it in our face, if you will. But I think there's even a more sinister one, and that is the power that they think comes from telling things in advance, the power of the mind, the mind over matter, shamanism, occultism, the power of the mind to create. They think themselves God, and now they want to have a harmonic convergence that uses these negative thoughts, they think, to bring down America. It's pure occultism. Live from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates is Alex Newman, our guest today. He is a freelance journalist, author, researcher, educator, and consultant, senior editor for The New American. And uh, talking about the COP28, a conference of censorship, taxes, and tyranny. Let's go right back to the phone lines. Uh, Al is calling from Bridgeport, West Virginia. Al, you're on the air. Brother Jim, thanks for taking my call today. Uh uh, Brother Alex, uh, here in West Virginia, we, we use what's called cogeneration, which they mix, they, they burn coal and natural gas together and put it up through these, if they're not smokestacks, they're called scrubbers. And, uh, man, it's really clean. And um, I think we're, we're doing way more than our part. Um, uh, but the rest of the world is not. And I think it's just a, the, the whole thing. Like you said, they're, they're just trying to, uh, to crush us and, and, and keep us down. Uh, but it's just, it's a battle of good and evil is what it is. Um, and I'd like to find somewhere in the scripture that, that would, that would help me along with this too. But, um, I appreciate everything you're doing and, uh, hopefully you can open up a lot of eyes and, uh, God bless you, brother. Thank mm. you so much. And, and God bless all you saints as well. Thank you, Al. Alex, your response. Oh, well, thank you so much, brother. One of the ways that you can tell that this agenda is diabolical is because it is entirely based on lies. These are demonstrable lies. These are lies that can be proven. <laughs> That's why Al Gore believes we need to ban the Al Gore rhythms. Right? <laughs> uh, that wasn't my, uh, my joke there. But um, the reason they feel like they need to silence us is because the truth is so powerful, because this is a diabolical agenda. Uh, it's interesting what you mentioned about West Virginia. One of the commitments that the Biden administration made here is to eliminate methane emissions from uh, various different sources. And uh, Stephen Moore over at the Heritage Foundation crunched some of these numbers, and uh, he had a piece in the New York Post uh, just in the last couple of days saying that this would require, if it, if it ends up being implemented, and the Biden administration committed, it would require the elimination of upwards of 60% of America's electrical power generation capacity. Uh, that happening at the same time that they're hoping through their mandates to double the demand for electricity through electric vehicles and other things. Uh, we're talking here about the actual destruction of our economy. Yeah, our economy yeah. cannot function without energy. And what has already started happening is, uh, as energy prices have been skyrocketing, as Obama put it when he was openly campaigning for these types of policies, uh, energy prices go up in the United States. Factories, manufacturing can't compete. If it's based in the United States, they move it over to communist China, where energy is far cheaper. And so uh, we're seeing the hollowing out of our economy. And again, all of this is happening based on lies. So God put the planet and the resources here for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. And uh, we have an obligation to be good stewards of the planet. And part of that means making sure that people can uh, own property, thou shalt not steal. It means standing for truth. It means uh, allowing people to flourish, making sure that the poor are cared for, uh, deliberately bringing about poverty, using lies as a pretext um, it's hard to think of any word other than diabolical to properly describe that. Yeah, indeed. And in my opinion, this is where, and he called from West Virginia, Senator Joe Manchin turned his back on West Virginians. That's my opinion. When he voted for this so-called, uh, uh, you know, Inflation Reduction Act, which we know was a global climate change bill, uh, but uh, West Virginia is suffering greatly as a result of Joe Manchin joining along with the Biden administration in this regard. Yeah, uh, and... Uh, and- you know, I actually talked to some of the senators who were there about this very issue, the Inflation Reduction Act. 
Um, I encourage people to, to stay tuned for that. We'll be putting out those videos in the days ahead. We've already released some of them. Lisa Murkowski, uh, she was the only one there who did not vote for the Inflation Reduction Act. And I asked her, you know, do, do you think it's appropriate to name your climate bill the Inflation Reduction Act? And uh, she kind of smirked and said, yeah, I'd say that was very inartfully named. And that's the politically correct way of putting it. So at least she had the, the nerve to acknowledge here that this was a fraud. And if you think about it, if any business had marketed a fraud the way the government marketed this Inflation Reduction Act, they would have been prosecuted yeah. for fraud. Yeah, let's uh, got packed lines here. Levi and Aladdin, Wyoming, you're on the air. Yeah, I was just curious if, with all the talk about world religious system, and if they were talking at all about rebuilding the city of Babylon at all, like the Bible had, had predicts in the last days. That's my question. Okay. Any talk about rebuilding Babylon? We did see, I mean, the push toward this one world religion in this, uh, uh, you know, this Abrahamic uh, family house that you talked about. Any, anything about Babylon itself that you heard? Uh, I did not hear any mention of Babylon. I know there are a variety of different perspectives on you know the spirit of Babylon and, and exactly mm-hmm. what that means. Uh, I did not hear any talk of that, but okay. as far as I'm concerned, the spirit of Babylon was all over yeah, the conference. Indeed. Tim in Crawford, Tennessee, you're on the air. Yes, Brother Jim and Alex. Yes, sir. Yes, I just wanted to make a comment about climate change. I'm a retired bricklayer. And you get to be somewhat of a weather geek when you work construction. If the listening audience would understand and look up weather facts, Tennessee's record high temperature happened in 1930 at Perryville, Tennessee, 113 degrees. We've never been even close to that yet. In all of the sister states that surround Tennessee, and including in the Midwest, I looked up Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, Places like that, the record highs were in the 1920s and 1930s. That's what contributed to the Dust Bowl, because you had record high temperatures with very little rain. And in my area, myself, I'm 61. In the 1980s, we had a real hot summer, and we had a six-month drought. But then in 1985, that winter, we got to 25 below zero, where I'm from. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. Uh, again, we were told about all the weather extremes today, and we're breaking records, or or this was the second highest ever. Well, when they hear third highest or tenth highest or fifth highest, I said it's always been warmer before then. Yeah, and, and again, we, we see this fraud across every issue, every time. About five years ago, I, I met uh, the IPCC sea level reviewer and Dr. News Oxford Morner along the coast of the Baltic Sea. And as a 30-minute interview, YouTube took it down after it reached 100,000 viewers. But I encourage people to go listen to it. He describes how he told the IPCC they could not publish these demonstrable lies about sea level. Well, they refused to take the lies out. He had to resign because he wasn't going to participate in defrauding humanity. And that'll give you some insight into how they, they lie about everything. They lie about temperature. They lie about hurricanes. They lie about tornadoes and droughts and fires and sea level rise and all the rest of it. And in fact, their predictions, it, virtually every falsifiable prediction that they have made over the last 50 years that I've been able to track down has been proven wrong. So you don't need a PhD in climate science to figure out that we are being manipulated and deceived here. Thank you for the call here today. And uh, friends, we have just run out of time. Alex Newman is our guest. And uh, just, you know, want to share with you, you know, as Scripture tells us in Genesis, you know, uh, as while the earth remains summer and winter and day and night and, and the heat and so forth, it's, it's not going to cease. God has given us that word. We can trust in his promises. Alex Newman from, uh, from Dubai, thank you so much for being with us today on the broadcast. Thank you for having me, Jim. It's an honor to be with you. Appreciate it. God told us this earth is going to pass away, but his word will not. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Indeed. The newamerican.com, the website. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.